Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning. There we go. Yeah. You guys must have been up early last night for Christmas, huh? I just, it's so good to gather with you guys today. What a joyous occasion it was yesterday to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And what a great day it was. Many had a lot of love and friends and family, gifts, peace and comfort. It was just a joyous day. But, you know, I'm, I'm also finding out that yesterday was really, really tough for a lot of people as well. And that's something that when we say that, people are like, ooh, let's not talk about the hard stuff, okay? But it's true. There's a lot of people that carry heavy depression in the Christmas season. Some of us in this very room have lost close ones. Or maybe we lost a job, we're going through some kind of health issue. There's something going on that's heavy on our hearts. And the people that have lost people, they think, man, I wish I had this person this time of the year. It was always better when I had this person this time of the year. Or maybe, I mean, I wish I had enough money to give my kids gifts, or I feel like I can't do this or that. There's something that's laying heavy on their heart, and it makes this this Christmas season very tough to get through. There's a lot of people that go through heavy suffering during Christmas. And our society just tells them, it's Christmas season. You shouldn't be sad. There's, you can't be sad on Christmas. You just can't. You know, I know scripture said, blessed are those who mourn. May they be comforted. And not Christmas is the jolliest of times. No man shall be sad. It's true that people go through suffering. You know, Jesus wants us to bring all of our struggles and burdens to him so that he can transform us in it. But he never mentions that there won't be suffering in this life. Even with the sacrifice that he gave all sinners who repent and follow him with their whole heart, there still will be suffering in this world. And you know, I physically have seen people with this agony in their hearts. With my work, I get to talk to roughly 400 people a month that I've never met before. And this month I've been asking, how's your Christmas season going? And you know, most people are saying like, oh man, it's great. This is the best time of the year. How can you not be excited for Christmas? It's the best. But I've learned that there's also people that when I ask them that, there's like a dagger in their soul. There's something that they just can't stand that question. They can't. And it's a real thing that is actually going on in this community. And I don't think it's because they choose to be sad. I think it's because they haven't felt or allowed God to walk alongside them in their suffering. There's something that's holding them back, and instead of dealing with it, they'd rather just kind of stick to themselves and not celebrate something so great and so grand. And today we're going to learn about a man who went from total blessings, peace and comfort on earth, to the lowest valley trenches there is. This man name is Job, and our word from the Lord today will be in the book of Job in the Old Testament. Now, we're going to be going through, you know, hopping around through it, so I might not give you a page, but... We will have scripture in here as well, but I just want to clarify this. This is probably not going to be the most cheery sermon. I know Christmas was just yesterday, but God has really shown me that he's the same God to the people on the mountaintops, and he's the same God to the people in the valley trenches. And God isn't here to make us just feel comfortable in our suffering. No, no, he is here to make us feel comfortable. He's not here to just make us feel comfortable in our own flesh, but to purify it so he may free us from our suffering. So let's learn about the man Job. 
Job was a man in the Old Testament that dates his time on earth roughly 2100 BC, and he was believed to live before even Abraham. He was a man of great wealth, but even a greater faith in God. He was well-respected and known as one of the greatest men in the whole eastern region. With Job, he had a wife, seven sons, and three daughters that gave him much love, and like, if he lived today, a ridiculous tax refund check. Um, but the book of Job begins with this information because we get to see how he is as a man. But even with his family, he also obtains much career success as well. He is a very extremely wealthy individual. He owned a great land that had 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants to help with his rich land. Job was loaded with wealth. He really had a great land. And we begin the book of Job with this information, not to show Job off, but to show that he was very blessed by God and the things that he had. And Job knew it as well. See, Job wasn't just some drunken, rich fool that was, had all these coins that he was just throwing upon people. He knew that these, came, these things came from God. For God even says that he had complete integrity and turned his back from evil when it was present. He would even gather his children after drinking and eating to do a burnt offering was like a, a, like a ritual back then to make sure that their spiritual purity was in line. And everything Job did, he pleased the Lord, and he did it to please the Lord as well. Now that we know a little bit more Job, we move into Scripture a little bit. Next thing we have in Scripture is a meeting with the sons of God, which were known to be angels at the time, and they were coming to present themselves upon the Lord. Now what's important to note here is they weren't coming as equals to the Lord, but to report to him for Lord and God is really the Alpha and Omega. He is truly all wise. And as they are coming to meet with the Lord, another very powerful being comes with them. More powerful than any human on earth, and this being's name was Satan. And what's, remember we said all those angels were coming to report to the Lord. Satan was too. Satan wasn't coming as an equal, but to report to the Lord. Even as the Lord asked him, Satan, where have you been? Satan does not even have an ounce of deceit in his mouth, for he knows God is all-knowing and all-wise. And as they're meeting, God brings up Job to Satan, saying, Have you considered my servant Job? No one, on, no one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answering the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the works of his hands and everything he owns, and you have increased possessions in his land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse your name. Now, what Satan is saying here is Job's motives of fearing God is surely because God has blessed Job. Not because Job just wants to, but because Satan believes that because Job is so integrity-filled and so spirit-filled is because God has done nothing but bless him. And Satan says, if you give me control of his possessions, he will surely curse you right to your face. Now, as Satan is asking for permission for this blessing, the Lord responds back to him and says, very well. Everything is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So this is where like, our flesh starts to kind of pull back and retreat. God just allowed the most destructive being on earth to have control of Job's possessions, but he may not lay a hand on him. Now, I know this can be like really tough to hear. Like, why would God do that? But just stick with me here, church. Just stick with me on this, okay? So the next events, Job is peacefully enjoying his day on his land, just 
enjoying a nice sunny day. And then suddenly a messenger rushes into Job and says, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Satan swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword and killed them. And as Job's talking to that servant, even another messenger comes in and says to Job, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them and killed them. Job, in shock, doesn't know what's going on. Even another servant comes in and tells Job, the Caldons formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants and killed them. Job, like, in shock, he doesn't know what's happening. Everything in his whole land is getting burnt or killed before him. And yet another messenger comes to him. But this one will be a little heavier. This messenger says to Job, your sons and daughters were eating in the oldest brother's house. A heavy wind from the land came in and struck all four corners of the house. It collapsed, and all of your children died. So within five minutes, Job has just lost his career. It's in flames. His livestock and servants have all been killed, and most importantly, all of his children lay heavy on his heart with agony, for they have just lost their lives within one moment. Job from them stands up, tears off his robe, and shaves his head, and he falls to his knees in agony. He falls to his knees in agony, and he doesn't cry, but the first thing it says in Scripture says he worships and says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. And that's not my opinion. That is in Scripture. And I know there's probably a million red flags, questions and concerns and confusion of our flesh arising after hearing all this, but we need to touch on one thing before we do. Is that Job was just sent through the most loss I think I've ever heard one person go through except for Jesus. He is then has his entire life flipped upside down, such a loss that is indescribable to fill, such a loss that the first thing that happens is you fall to your knees in agony and pain. But yet the first thing he does is worships the Lord and God and all his righteousness. righteousness. Neither did Job, Job Cern, uh, turn to sin in this time of suffering, for his integrity was still firm in the Lord. Man, that is just a beautiful message out of such suffering that even after all of that, he continues to worship the Lord in all of his greatness. But unfortunately, Job's suffering does not end here. One day, the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? Roaming the earth and from walking around on it, Satan answered the Lord. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. So even after everything that Satan put Job through, Job still holds his integrity in the Lord and turns away from evil when it's present. Something important to note is that God is not working with Satan in this moment. In fact, he says, you did this for no good reason. And everything Satan does, the Lord rebukes of it. And he's saying, what's saying, he just, I think a lot of times people will think that, man, why would God do this to me? Why would God put such suffering in my life? Sometimes Satan is powerful enough where he will put suffering in your lives. But the important 
that God is not working along Satan. And what's something important here that God said that he incited Satan against, he incited Job against God. What he's saying is that in the suffering that Job is going through, Satan was attempting to pin Job against God. He wanted Job to feel like God was purposely putting the suffering and pain in his life to make God have some kind of joy and entertainment through Job's suffering. But that is not the case. God is against the works of Satan, and he does not enjoy the deceitful works of him as well. But Satan answers back to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse, curse your name to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, he is in your power, but only spare his life. So from, from that, Satan goes to Job and infects his body with a very bad skin disease, boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. He was in agony both in his life and then also his, his health was now deteriorating as well. So from this, Job takes a broken piece of pottery and starts scraping his body for he wants to crawl out of his skin, it hurts so bad. And now he is sitting on his knees and ashes of his own skin. A man that once had all earthly materials one could have. A man that everyone looked to in respect and envy. A man that is highly blessed by God is now sitting with a horrible disease on his skin, his whole career in flames, and his own children are gone as well. Only thing left he has is his faith in God and his own wife. But yet now his wife has been brought into his suffering for they are one flesh. And with this, all this weight of pain and suffering on her heart, she speaks to Job. She says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. As Job's wife is under the distress and the burdens of the suffering, she cannot take it any longer. She's unable to see why Job would follow this God that puts all these horrible things in his life. She can't see it. So to put, be put out of her misery, she's telling Job to turn his back on God and die. Imagine your spouse saying that to you. Seriously, think about that. Imagine that. Or someone close to you, someone that you have high respect for that you go to with everything. Imagine them saying, go and turn your back from the one thing that can save you and then die. That's heavy. That is heavy. Job responds in this matter. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we only accept only good from God and not adversity? And throughout all of that, Job did not sin. See, it's true that we must pick God over all things in life. And even if our own spouse tells us to turn our back away from God, we have to stand firm in the Lord as Job continues to do. And even through all that Job's suffering, in all of his pain, he did not sin and continued to turn his back from evil, from even his own family. But that doesn't mean there wasn't any need for growth in Job's heart. That doesn't mean he's maxed out his relationship with, with God. And that doesn't mean Job wasn't going through intense pain. For the next seven days and nights, Job sat there weeping his heart out. His friends joined him. And they even shaved their heads and fell to the knees with Job and wept with him. For seven days and nights, 
they wept together and not a single word was said. If that doesn't tell you the pain that he's going through, I don't know what does. To sit there for seven days and weep with your friends, that is immense sorrow that he is going through. Seven long days of silence. But after that seven days, Job then sits in his ashes in a pool of his own tears. But then he finally speaks after these seven days. And if you're waiting for a, a triumphant halftime speech from Job, I'm sorry once again, that's not going to happen right now. Job opened up and says, May the day I was born perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived, if only that day had turned to darkness. May God above not care about it, or light shine on it. May darkness and gloom reclaim it, and a cloud settle over it. May what darkens the day terrify it, if only darkness had taken that night away. May it not appear among the days of the year, or be listed in the calendar. Job wished that he had never been born. He wishes that God had never gave him life. He's going through so much pain in his life that he wished that he didn't have life to begin with. And so much agony, he's sitting there and he's looking for a way out and the only thing he can think of is his own life that he wishes was never there. So as, as Job's friends hear him saying these things, they look at this man that they once knew, this man that they've seen, well-respected, the man that they went to for advice when, when they needed help, and they don't see Job anymore. He doesn't look the same. He doesn't act the same. This is not the same Job. And that's because that Job has now had his life flipped upside down. But his friends seem to think they know why this is happening to Job. See, they believe that Job's suffering is well-deserved. Instead of comforting Job, they start to condemn him saying that, that, Job, you must have did something. God wouldn't just do this to you. You may not be the Job that we thought you were. There's something not right about you, Job. You deserve everything that you're getting. And remember this, God is not working in the suffering. He said that this happened for no good reason. But his friends think that they know everything what Job's going through. They start ripping his name apart, putting him through the mud, saying, not physically, but in his name, putting it through the mud, and they just keep telling Job and accusing him of things that he might have done to pin Job and put the suffering on him. And Job, knowing his own work, knowing what he's done, knowing who he is, he is not happy with this. He responds back saying, no, no, no. I have done nothing to deserve such suffering. I have done nothing to be in this much pain. You do not know what you speak of. You weak men that came to me when you needed help, how dare you speak of me in that way? And for the next 34 chapters, they have this heated argument about why Job is suffering. And Job just lost everything. And now even his own friends sit there and accuse him of things that he didn't even do. His own friends. And Job is so fed up with this cruel talk about him that he starts to want justice for his suffering. He cannot understand why he deserves much pain from all of these things that he's receiving. Job is wanting answers for the why of his suffering. He is now almost demanding a counsel with God to seek justice for his own suffering. 
Now there is a shift starting to happen with Job now. All this pain, all of his agony, he is starting to break down more and more each moment that he must, must see accounts with God for his justice. Real quick, can we just like take a deep breath right now? That, I mean, you can feel the heaviness of Job's suffering right now. The things that he went through, you can feel that right now. Let's just all take a second and just, You know, I remember when I first read the book of Job, and I was filled with so many questions. Why did God have to put Job through so much, or sorry, why did God allow Satan to put through so much suffering? Why didn't God put an end to his suffering at that very moment? Why did God offer up his most faithful servant to Satan? How could God allow Job to be tormented in such a matter? And I'm going to spoil one thing from the book of Job because I want us to have an open mind moving forward is that God never tells Job or directly says in the scripture why he allowed Satan to do what he did. Not once in scripture does he say why he allowed God to say that. And boy, when I was done reading, I was frustrated at that. I was so frustrated. But I brought it to prayer, and the Lord has really convicted me of one thing. See, I was starting to grow this complex where I thought I was deserving of knowing what he's up to, that I'm okay with suffering, but I need to know the why first. Church, I repent of this because I was viewing God as who I want him to be and not who I need him to be. I was getting frustrated that God wasn't answering Job in the way I thought he would, that I was deserving of knowing why God did a certain thing. Who am I? Gertrude knows. Who am I, Gertrude? Who am I where I think I deserve to know what God's up to? Who am I where I think I get to determine what God does in certain areas of my life? Who am I where I think I'm wise enough to know his works? I'll tell you who I am. I am a sinner demanding answers from the perfect and sinless one. Does that make any sense to anybody? I don't think so. Our flesh is programmed to reject pain. And when that pain comes and we think God's ahead of it, we want answers. We do. But it's not always because God doesn't want us knowing these things, but that we can't comprehend him at all in his infinite wisdom. Our flesh is programmed to reject pain whenever it approaches. We try to stay busy with tasks or dive into some kind of entertainment that will block our thoughts from the such suffering. We turn to uh, videos, food, some turn to pornography. Who am I be? Some turn to alcohol, some drugs, some turn to self-harm, and everything in between. Everyone has something that we try to distract ourselves with to not feel pain. And it's in these actions and suffering are the same thing that keep us from growing in Christ as well. To grow in Christ, we need to develop a deeper connection where we find total sufficiency in him alone, and especially in our time of suffering. To allow God to extract the pain, we must first need to recognize and surrender it to him. And that means we're going to need to recognize and fill that dagger that's inside of us. Then seek the Lord so that he might free us from it. 
For we are insufficient of removing the pain, but merely distracting ourselves from it from a short period. And I think as believers, we want one thing on earth, is to be as close as like Christ as possible. And knowing that the rest of the goodness will flow from that. But what about when we find out that that's going to hurt along the way? What about when we find out that we don't need to give them a little piece of rope, but we need to give them the entire thing? That's a tough one. You know, I think about we wear the seatbelt every time we get in the car, because we believe if we're about to get in a wreck, it'll save us. But until you get in a wreck or you're about to get hit and you're about to get thrown through a windshield and you see that belt pull you back, you don't draw a deeper connection for that seatbelt. And you know that it will save you. In the same way in Christ, until we're in our suffering and we finally give it to the Lord and we fill him, protect us, we will not fill a deeper connection in Christ and a need for Christ. We always focus on the why of suffering and what we did to deserve it, instead of chasing in full pursuit of the one thing that can free us from it and relieve our lives and finding comfort in Christ alone. I repent because God doesn't deserve to give me anything because of the sin I've done in my life. But yet he sent Jesus to die for me in my sins only because he loves me that much to repent and give my life to him. And that means finding total sufficiency in him alone and losing all understanding of how my life needs to be lived and finding an understanding of how Christ wants me to live. That's when we find freedom. That's when we find comfort, is when we give it truly to the Lord. And that doesn't mean just a little bit, everything. Come on, come on. But let's get back to Scripture and see how all this pans out for Job. As Job exhausts himself in anger, an unseen storm rushes in. The sky filled with dark clouds filled with God's lightning and thunder. The Lord has come to meet with Job. The Lord speaks to Job and says, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixes dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments, who in total darkness its blanket? When I determined its boundaries and put bars and doors in its place. When I declared that you may come this far, but no further. Who did that, Job? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place? So it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it. The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the source of the sea, or walked in the depths of the oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Now, God's not actually asking Job these things. He knows the answers. God knows that Job doesn't have the slightest idea of the complexity of the universe. This universe works in such harmony 
And it's such a great design that we don't even have the slightest clue of how it works. Shaken by the Lord's presence, Job responds, I I know you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be spoiled. You asked me, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you inform me. I heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words, and I am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. God has just humbled Job. He showed Job once again, like we said, that he doesn't have even the slightest idea of how this world works in such harmony. The designer is the only one who knows how his masterpiece works. No human can ever comprehend God's infinite wisdom and how wondrous he works. Where were we when the seas were connected? Where were we when God made the sun rise? Where were we when God made light out of pure darkness? God's world was perfectly created before sin was brought into it. And guess who brought sin into it? Us. So what makes us think that we should determine what happens on it? Growing closer to the Lord is truly a lifelong journey on earth. More and more we find ourselves realizing how much more we haven't given to the Lord. And it's in those moments where we give more than we thought we had, right there is where we find growth in the Lord. God has given it all to you and his son Jesus. And now he wants you to give it all back to him because he knows he's the one way to true freedom. God is sovereign over all things, including your suffering. And at that same time, God loves you unconditionally, no matter what you believe he's doing. What's so crazy is at the end of this, God blesses Job with twice as much as he had. Twice as many livestock, twice as much land, twice as many servants. But he gave him seven sons and three daughters. Wait, that's... That's the same amount he already had. That's not twice. After this, Job does not question the Lord at all. And he knows that those sons and daughters that he lost are with the God, the Father in heaven now, resting with him. He knows that because of the transformation that the Lord gave him. If we just give it all to him, even in our time of suffering, he will be there, I promise you. When we fully seek him, he will be there. And right now, if we are feeling that agony, we're feeling that pain, we're feeling that time where we can't go any further with a certain thing in our lives where we're suffering, now is the time where we're gonna lift it up. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come back up. And as we're doing that, this altar is open. If you feel like Something is holding you back, and you come to this altar wholeheartedly. I promise you, he will meet you right here. And if, we, if you remember one thing from today, and not that I messed up some words, remember this. God remains enough. 
and he is deserving and he requests our love and praise in all circumstances of life. God is enough. God is enough in your time of suffering. God is enough in the time where you can't pay the bills. God is enough in the time where you lost a member. God is enough in any aspects of your life. He is enough. And he is ready to pull you away from that suffering. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.